What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking a Bunch of Hoopla. This week, I'm going to get into the whole Chase Young and James Wiseman and the NCAA issue that's been going on. Do a brief recap of the LSU versus Alabama game and just, you know, the updated polls on college football. Talking about what the hell's been going on with the Astros, you know, from end of October to now, it seems like a bunch of bullshit's been happening. We're going to address that today. And then probably, most likely, finish off with this whole Colin Kaepernick workout that's happening this Saturday and just, you know, the things with that and what I think is going to happen and so on and so forth and maybe some kind of looser stuff at the end if there is time. So, yeah, let's just get right into it. <clears throat> All right, so before we get really, like, in-depth into the podcast, I do want to say that starting the Monday after Thanksgiving is when the podcast is going to go up from now on, mainly because... Uh, I got full-time at my, my job, and my schedule got worked around, so Mondays are going to work better for, you know, this going up, and also have more time to really put more effort and, you know, try to make this better quality for the future, so this week and then next Wednesday will be the podcast again, within that, <clears throat> excuse me, that Monday after, though, is when the podcast is going to go up every week, so the goal is every Monday, of course, is when it's going to go up. Uh, I want to shoot for 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Mondays. And then the video will probably go up a little bit later than that in the same day. So, all right, let's just get into it now. Officially, we're going to get into it now. Like I said in the beginning, the first thing that I'm going to get into is the whole Chase Young versus James Wiseman thing. To explain, uh, Chase Young and James Wiseman are both current uh, college athletes. Chase Young is a defensive end for Ohio State. And James Wiseman is a center for the University of Memphis. So to start with Chase Young, though. So he's currently suspended or it's a it's a weird situation going on with him mainly because because last year uh when the uh Buckeyes played in the Rose Bowl uh he took a loan from a you know a family friend <laughs> that pretty much was able to get his girlfriend um from where they live to see him play in the Rose Bowl totally fair nothing wrong with your significant other Want to see you play, and at that point in his life, the biggest game of his career. So, good on to him, and he repaid it back. But let me just read you the actual statement of what was said in that whole thing. So, on his Insta, on his Twitter, excuse me, he goes, "Unfortunately, I won't be playing this week." And they played Maryland this last week, I believe. So, he goes, "I won't be playing this week because of an NCAA eligibility issue. I made a mistake last year by accepting a loan from a family friend I've known since the summer." before my freshman year at Ohio State. I repaid it in a full last summer, and I'm working with the university NCAA to get back on the field as soon as possible. I want to thank my family, my teammates, coaches, and the whole Ohio State community for all love and support. God bless and go Bucks. I know what's most likely going to happen is they're going to look into the whole friend since before the summer thing because that kind of just sounds like, like a booster or someone within you know the Ohio State kind of football community kind of just like, hey... Here's some money. So, because that's probably the biggest thing to see, really, also how much the, like, the loan was. Because I believe, according to the rules, let me, let me pull it up here in, the, in this thing. So, uh, the, this, the NCAA has a rule saying that per bylaw 12 4-1, a suspension with repayment doesn't kick in until the benefit ranges from $200 to $500. Uh, that starts a withholding penalty of 10% of this season's contest since the NCAA, excuse me, since the NCAA rounds up. That would be two games in a 12-game regular season uh, from $500 to $800. The penalty is 20%, which is three games. More than 800 is 30%, which is four games. So 
depending on how they, you know, determine that, how much, you know, the loan actually was, he's going to get some type of suspension, at least as the recording of this. I, don't, I haven't seen anything updated with that yet. So it's going to be interesting because at the moment, Chase Young is, I think, one of the, he's like talked about as a Heisman candidate this year, a very rare thing for a defensive player to really get to. And also, uh, he's one of the top prospects coming out. So most likely like a top three to top five player coming out in the draft, possibly the number one overall pick depending on who's picking, of course. Yeah, see, the thing with this, and then when I'll get into James Wiseman in a second, is that, like, all the guy wanted to do simply was just get his girlfriend to go see him play in a game, and that's it. You know, I feel like I, I had did a video a while ago, and I'll put it in the description about how I think the NCAA can kind of, well, before they start paying athletes and everything, an idea I had about how they just have, like, a certain lump sum, just lump, lump sum, lump, fund or whatever lump sum however you say it excuse me that the colleges can use for the players you know so if it's like you know they may need help with but it's like a small like maybe 10 grand or so or five grand or whatever so it's like you know if a player needs help with rent that month they can get take it from there and it's cool you know there's not going to be a there's not going to be an issue there's not going to be some eligibility issue there's not going to be you know oh they're they're ineligible from bowl games or taking away scholarships like a certain amount of money that's taken that they keep record of that's like hey you know, so-and-so is using it for, you know, the light bill. So-and-so is using it for, like, a field trip. So-and-so is using it to help their mom with some surgery or something or helping their dad with buy a car. So it's like the money's there for the players to, like, all right, we can dip in if we need it and we're not going to get in trouble. So, again, I'm sure, you know, people can comment saying how that's going to, you know, that can be also abused and all that too. But, um, like I said, I'll put in the description. You let me know your thoughts on that as well. And James Wiseman's kind of in a similar situation except for him though his wasn't his girlfriend you know trying to see him play his was just he moved and then the current coach of the you know memphis tigers uh penny hardaway helped him move so let me pull up the information now and make sure i get all my information correct on espn they did like a timeline of the relationship between penny hardaway and james wiseman so i'll kind of go through it quick so i don't want to spend all this time reading about it so uh, in t August of 2008, he Hardaway donated a million dollars to the Univers University of Memphis, uh, which ended up being used to build the Penny Hardaway Hall of Fame on the Tigers campus. And the spring slash summer of 2017, uh, James Wiseman, who was a sophomore at Ensworth uh, High School, he joined the Team Penny Hardaway grassroots team on the Nike circuit. Um, he transfers after a little bit after that once the school season starts from Ensworth to East High School in Memphis, Tennessee for his junior year with his family relocating from Nashville. Uh, and then they also at the time, the East High you know, basketball team was coached by Penny Hardaway himself. So that kind of seems like maybe he convinced them to move then so then he can, you know, do with that. But that's, again, nothing so far. But then on November 16th, 2017, Wiseman and East teammate Ryan Boyce are ruled ineligible by the Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association, say that like five times fast, due to an athletic coaching link, both Wiseman and Boyce played for the team, both for both played for Team Penny, which was on the Nike circuit that I just mentioned. Uh, then the Shelby County Board of Education filed a lawsuit five days later seeking to overturn the ruling, which they did. They were able to play, pending another hearing. Let's see, then my, you know, Memphis fired their head coach at the time. And then it goes, uh, Hardaway on March 20th, 2018, Hardaway is introduced as the Memphis head coach and is immediately tasked with two things, bringing excitement back to the Tigers program and getting Memphis involved with high-level recruits, which obviously involved James Wyden because he was one of the top recruits coming out of high school at the time. 
And then August of 2018, he stays at East High School instead of transferring to a national, like, you know, known school for basketball, which helps Memphis, I would assume, at the time because he's a local product. And then it's easier for him to, to get convinced, I would assume, to go play for them. You know, it's his home team at the time. Takes a visit to Memphis in November of 2018. Uh, at the end of November, he commits to Memphis, announcing live on SportsCenter that he's staying home to play for the Tigers instead of going to places like Kentucky. And then at the end, you know, again, a week later, he signed a national letter of intent. Yeah, so it was like early like 2017 when he was the head coach of, you know, the high school that he helped, you know, Wiseman and his family move across town to the different school. So that was like the biggest issue. Oh, yes, yeah, it's here. Um, yes, yeah, the decision centered on moving and relocation costs given to Wiseman family by Penny Hardaway. Wiseman's former high school and AAU coach current and current college coach at Memphis in 2017. They've, they've been linked pretty much for like 11 years, if not more, going back to when he was younger. So, And then going back to now in 2019, he was injured for a bit, so he didn't play for a while. And then it says uh, on November 8th, 2019, Wiseman's attorney, Leslie Ballin, says a new conference, sorry, at a news conference, that Wiseman has been ruled ineligible by the NCAA after findings that Hardaway helped Wiseman and his family move to Memphis. School says that Hardaway deemed a booster by the NCAA to the aforementioned a million dollar donation to the school in 2008, provided $11,500 in moving expenses to Wiseman's family in the summer of 2017. Then Wiseman filed a lawsuit against the NCAA, and then the Shelby County Chancery Court Judge Jim Kyle issues an emergency temporary restraining order on that decision, which allowed uh, Wiseman to play that night. He started against UIC, recording 70 points, 9 rebounds, and 5 blocks. And then, during midway through the game, the NCAA uh, issued a statement saying, The University of Memphis was notified that James Wiseman is likely ineligible. The university chose to play him and ultimately is responsible for ensuring that student-athletes are eligible to play. And then Hardaway, after the game, says we will continue to play. And then, as of, uh, well, within the next five days or so, uh, there'll be a hearing against... Uh, the NCAA for Wiseman and scheduled for 10 a.m. local time. And then they're going to go from there. So with the difference, though, at least like I've kind of showed you, hopefully I made sense and, you know, you know, did my best to reading that. Hopefully I wasn't too fast. But the main thing with that is after there's more, I'll put the link to the article, too, if you like, in the description of this podcast, that they've been more linked than it was with, like, the the person the family friend quote unquote that Chase Young had to help his girlfriend go see him game, this was just they helped him move across town. This well at least from one city to another to play high school football. What am I talking? <sighs> to play high school basketball, and sure it does seem like that pretty Hardaway has pretty much had like a hold on this kid for like years. So it's like hey, you know I'll coach you in high school. We, I coach you during the AAU days. You know, I'm coaching you in college, so it's like they've been linked pretty much since, like, the kid was, like, really young. So I can see why the NCAA feels that way, but I would imagine because of that number that they have enforced, um, with all this, you know, depending on the percentage of games they play and all that and how much was, like, used. But also, I feel like as long as, I mean, if the move was just honestly just to generally help the kid and his family move so they can play basketball, it's great, but also knowing college sports it most likely was to help him get into the school so they can play together so then they can hopefully go to Memphis together and play and win and then live happily ever after while you know Penny Hardaway is a you know collegiate college legend coach 
and then James Wiseman goes on to the you know be the top pick in the NBA draft coming 2020. So uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how these both go, especially because they're not like just normal kind of average players or like just kind of good players in their respective sports. They're the, they're considerably the top prospects in each of their sports in the country. So I don't know if the NCAA is gonna go hard on them because of that, or they're gonna go soft, you know, in helping the program. Like, all right, you know, we get it. Your top players, you're gonna leave pretty much after the season's over anyway. Is there really a point of punishing them? I don't know. We'll see what happens. But let me know your thoughts. You know, do you think these players should be in trouble for what they did, or do you think it's just again the NCAA just coming down hard on these players, just trying to survive and just trying to. You know, have people they love go see the games and trying to move across, you know, wherever to go play sports. You know, just be able to move easier and not have to worry about expenses and doing all these trips and everything like that. So I think Chase Young will be fine just based off the information that I've read and research that I've read. Because mainly if it's less than like a thousand, he'll probably get a couple of games and then he may not get anything because he repaid it back. It wasn't like he still owes that person this money. But on the other hand, with James Wiseman, he was provided $11,500 with moving expenses from Penny Hardaway himself, and they already have that long connection already as coach and player, and then, you know, now in college, so it's... And then, I mean, I, I feel like he'll probably get a harder sentence than, you know, Chase Young will because of that, and because the NCAA already sees Hardaway as technically a booster, because at the time he wasn't the head coach, and the, but the money they used... It, it seems so complicated, but I think he'll probably get a harder hearing, so... Again, all my social medias are down below, so let me know your thoughts on that. So let's just jump right into this whole LSU-Alabama game real fast. LSU and Alabama. Now, this pretty much that week, this last weekend, was the game of the week, essentially. Uh, LSU won 46-41. And I wasn't personally able to watch the game because due to work, which is amazing. I still watch the highlights, though, and I think Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, running back and quarterback, respectively, of LSU, played really well. Uh, Joe Burrow went 31 for 39, 393 yards and three touchdowns, while Clyde Edwards went had 20 carries, 103 yards and three touchdowns, averaging 5.2 you know yards per carry. Also, Joe Burrow had 14 carries and 64 yards on rushing, which is great. And then Jamar Chase, six receptions, 140 yards and one touchdown. And even their defense really played well. Now going on the Alabama side, though, you had uh, Tua. Tagovailoa, I hope I said that right. I feel like I really got that right, but again, if I'm wrong, please correct me. Uh, he went 21 for 40, 418 yards and four touchdowns in an interception. Uh, Najee Harris had 19 carries, 146 yards and a touchdown, averaging 7.7 yards per carry. Then you had Devontae Smith, who went absolutely off this game. Had seven receptions for 213 yards for two touchdowns, averaging 30.4 yards per reception which is insane. And then obviously the defense on Alabama played really well. They had a bunch of sacks and also had a decent amount of tackles. Let me see, any interceptions? No, I, well, no, Joe Burden threw any interceptions. I didn't really see like that high of a scoring game between the two because I know their defenses are really good and Alabama's not really known a lot for letting up this many points. I know they did obviously for Clemson and National Championship game last season where they put up, if I'm correct, uh, Clemson put up 41, if I'm correct, top of my head. So, But overall, though, Alabama's defense isn't really doing this normally. So, But again, it's not like LSU is the LSU teams of past. 
the last couple of seasons they've slowly been really building their team really well and, and Odron's a really good coach and you know I figured one day LSU was going to really kind of turn the tide turn the tide on the whole you know college football scene for a bit so yeah I'm excited to see how it goes and let me pull up the rankings for the college football playoff real fast because I am from yeah so LSU is number one at the moment Georgia is number four so the top four teams, technically, if the playoff, you know, if the season ended here and it was a playoff time, it would go LSU, Ohio State's number two, uh, Clemson at three, and then Georgia at four, with Alabama and Oregon, respectively, at five and six. You know, I've seen some articles here and there uh, and a lot of headlines saying, that, oh, is this, like, the end for Alabama? Oh, is this the start of, like, you know, things are kind of going bad for them? It's like... As long as Nick Saban's there, I don't think so. I don't see him anytime soon letting their team get bad. You know, they haven't really had a bad season in a long time. So, I mean, still, they're only 8-1, and one, and there's still, you know, a few, decent amount of games left, so it's not like, you know, they're out here just playing horribly the entire season. They've played well. I mean, hell, they're still 8-1. It's not like they're, like, 4-5 and five or something, or, like, you know, 5-4. and four. They're still a really good team. So around the top 10, though, you have LSU at 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Georgia 4, uh, Alabama 5, Oregon 6, Utah 7, Minnesota 8, Penn State 9, and then Oklahoma 10. And then you have, like, the people on the edge with, like, Florida at 11, you know, Baylor's at 13, uh, Cincinnati and Memphis are at 17 and 18, uh, Michigan's at 15, uh, Boise State's 21, uh, Appalachian State is 25. See, Appalachian State, I feel like, doesn't get enough love as they should because they've proven, like, weirdly that they're a good team here. Like, not, like, consistently, it seems like, but when they need to be good, they've proven to need to be good. As I'm sure you remember, I think it was, like, what, 10 years ago at this point where uh, they beat Michigan with a blocked kick in the field goal at the end of the game to win the game, so... You know, good for them. They're 8-1. You know, hopefully, you know, they can climb the rankings and get closer to that top 10. But that's going to be tough because you still have people like Navy at 23. Like I said, Boise State at 21. Memphis at 18. You know, Notre Dame, Michigan at 15 and 16. You know, again, Baylor, Auburn. There's other teams that are most likely going to stay ahead of them for a while. But hopefully, Appalachian State can keep it up for the next few years. And I would love to see them make a deep run. That would be sick if they just came out of nowhere and were just like top five. Because I think it was, like, 2007, I believe, the season where, like, all the top, like, where it was, like, the number two teams were just getting beat left and right every week. And so it was just, like, a new number two team every week just getting blasted. And then that whole that whole year was insane. So, yeah, I'm excited for what's to come. Um, I would love to see, just for a bit, Alabama just kind of just not in it. Because it's kind of, at least for me, how it is, like, the Patriots, you kind of get fatigued seeing them every year. It's like, we get it. They're in every year. You know, they're probably going to do well, you know, because they have the top some of the top players in the country already. They basically play with, like, a semi-NFL team as it is anyway, so. But it's nice to just see, you know, new teams, well not, well, not new teams, but different teams for a chance really be at the top of the leaderboard, you know, and all that. So, hopefully, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama sneaked in on four at the end of the season. I'd like to see Oklahoma, you know, hopefully if they, you know, if other teams start losing and they keep, you know, staying the course of winning, then I'd like to see Jalen Hurts and Lincoln Riley get a chance to play in the playoff. But their history with that isn't great either. So, you know, let me know your thoughts on the season. How is your favorite team doing? You know, what do you think they can do to really solidify themselves in the playoff? And also, who do you think is going to win the Heisman? I've seen people say 
Tua. I've seen people say Joe Burrow. Some people have said Chase Young even, like I said earlier in the video or in the podcast, depending on how you're enjoying this. I've heard Jake Fromm, uh, Trevor Lawrence, of course. Justin Fields is up there, Ohio State quarterback. It's There's a lot of good names being thrown out there, but again, we'll see what happens. So let me know, and let's just get into this whole Houston Astros situation here. So now the next thing we're going to get into is this whole Houston Astros situation. Because uh, currently they have like two things going on at the moment. So the first thing, let me pull up here, is this whole controversy with the Astros and Sports Illustrated. So for people who don't know, basically what happened was, um, it, this was back in like the end of October. So uh, I believe it was during the, where does it say? This was, yeah, so the report is that uh, at the end of October, uh, Brandon Tubman, I believe, he uh, he's an assistant general manager for the Houston Astros, and the quote is, he said he that he turned to a group of three female reporters, including one wearing a purple domestic violence awareness bracelet, and yelled half a dozen times, thank God we got Ozuna, I'm so fucking glad we got Ozuna during the post-game celebrations. And then the report from reports I've read, it said that uh, he was making comments that were also offensive and they were frightening to you know the reporters and everything. And the people who don't know, Roberto Ozuna uh, is currently, at, at least at the time of recording this, the Astros closer who had served uh, a 75-game suspension for violating the league's domestic violence policy in 2018. Also, it says that the report, uh, well, the re- like reports came out saying that Another Houston staffer apologized to the reporters after, you know, everything that happened. And then uh, before that, though, the Astros were given, they were kind of getting a lot of flack for acquiring Mizuna from the Blue Jays after he was suspended. They said it was a tough decision at the time. But they, but the Houston Astros sent a statement, and I quote, The story posted by Sports Illustrated is misleading and completely irresponsible. An Astros player was being asked questions about a difficult outing. Our executive was supporting the player during a difficult time. His comments had everything to do with about the game situation that had just occurred and nothing else. They were also not directed toward any specific reporters. We are extremely disappointed in Sports Illustrated's attempt to fabricate a story where one does not exist, end quote. So there's that. And then I believe not too long after, um, the Houston Astros actually retracted their statement about what they said about the Sports Illustrated article and everything. So, And then I believe, let's see. Uh, and the reporter who ha- did the article, uh, Stephanie Epstein of Sports Illustrated, was sent a letter of apology from the Houston Astros owner, Jim Crane. Here's what some of the uh, letter said. It says, Stephanie, on behalf of the entire Astros organization, I want to personally apologize for the statement we issued on Monday, October 22nd. We were wrong and I am sorry that we initially questioned your professionalism. We retract that statement and I assure you that the Houston Astros will learn from this experience. The, the Astros also released a statement. Uh, oh, sorry. After the whole story about from uh, Stephanie Epstein's article came out, that saying how she lied and it was completely irresponsible. Like I just read, blah blah blah. blah. That during that time, the Astros actually did fire uh, Brandon Tubman after you know learning that he lied to them about what transpired. Uh, the Astros president of baseball operations, Jeffrey Thonow, I think that's how you say it. Um, met with Epstein, Epstein, or however you say it, uh, and, you know, apologized to everybody. And then now, Commissioner 
Robert Manfred is doing an investigation of everything going on with that because what the f what the fuck like this is this is ridiculous you know all this I get it and I guess you know how kind of in a world we live in you know people want to jump the gun and everything but like the fucking guy lied about what happened you know basically just yelling at these report like these this you know reporter who is supporting people who have suffered or and dealt with who are victims of domestic violence and abuse and all that and he's just kind of like hey you know we got a fucking zuna but my man's fucking two-piece and like we need to we did not do that they got that already going on right they have this that whole issue with sports illustrated that's all going on and then it was came out the other day in a report that the astros in 2017 when they won the world series were stealing signs like i said they're already under investigation already so one of their former pitchers mike fairs says the team electronically stole signs during their championship run he did a whole article to The Athletic, and I don't have, you know, a paid subscription to The Athletic, so I can't read the article exactly, but he came out saying that it happened, so here's kind of some of what was said in the article. Excuse me. He goes, that's not playing the game the right way. They were advanced and willing to go above and beyond to win, uh, and he played for them from 2015 and 2017. I just wanted the game to be cleaned up a little bit because there are guys who are losing their jobs because they're going in there not knowing. I was told the teams I was on, I didn't know how far the rules went with MLB, but I know they, the Astros that he's referring to, were up to date, if not beyond. I had to let my team know so that we were prepared when we go to play them at Minute Maid. So, there was a banging from the dugout, almost like a bat hitting the bat rack every time a change-up lead, sorry, every time a change-up signal got put down. Um, after the third one, I stepped off. I was throwing some really good changeups, and they were getting fouled off. Getting fouled off. Fouled off. Excuse me. After the third bang, I stepped off, and that was from Danny Farquhar. And then, according to the Atlantic, uh, it says one major league manager said that sign stealing is an issue that permits through the throughout the whole league, um, and the major league baseball has done a very poor job of policing it or discouraging it. And apparently, I believe also in 2017, according to this article here. The Red Sox were caught using Apple Watch in the dugout while stealing signs and all that. So, going on more about the Houston Astros thing. Regarding the story posted by the Atlantic, the Houston Astros organization has begun an investigation in cooperation with Major League Baseball. It would not appropriate to um, it would not be appropriate to comment further on this matter at this time. So yeah, it's just not looking great that you know they're they've been caught for cheating during their World Series run, and now that. You know, they're also just, you know, commenting on shit they don't know about. So, looks like the Houston Astros are now the Houston assholes. Um, yeah. But again, um, cheating in sports, as I'm sure you are all aware, this isn't anything new. You know, sign stealing has been around for probably as long as I can remember. You know, I've heard about it growing up and all that and how it, it happens. I'm sure it happens all the time. I'm sure it's nothing new. It's one of those things where it's Major League Baseball. I'm sure they, they know it goes on all the time, but it's one of those things where it's like, if you don't see anybody getting caught, it's like, what can you really do? Because you don't want to keep enforcing things if, God forbid, a team isn't actually doing it. So, yeah, so fuck the Houston Astros. But do I honestly think that anything is really going to happen to the Astros? I mean, I'm sure it's, they're going to get some type of punishment because I'm sure Manfield, the commissioner, is probably just like, you know, this is this is getting old. Like, I can't. I'm dealing with two things from you guys now. Like, one, because you guys are being assholes here. And two, because you're cheating. 
Like, what are you really going to do? What else happened uh, from the sign-stealing thing is that they also utilized a center field camera in Minute Maid Park, focused on the other team's catcher, and then deploying methods, most notably relying on employees or players to bang on a trash can to signal when a breaking pitch or off-speed pitch was coming to alert the hitter at the plate. Uh, Mike Fares, uh, I'm sure baseball appreciates you coming out and saying something. Uh, I'm sure people on the Houston Astros probably hate you now. And also, uh, I would say to the Oakland A's organization, the team he currently plays on, I will say, if you uh, have any idea of sign stealing, I would say stop now, because if not, and if Mike Ferris hears about it, he's going to snitch on your ass too. So, there's that. Um, yeah, again, I, I mean, it's one of those things where, again, sports and cheating kind of go hand in hand. As sad as it is, uh, whether it's stuff like sign stealing in baseball, or taking some type of illegal substance to, you know, bolster players' performance, to give them an extra edge, or to help them recover from an injury faster, or whatever it is, you know, uh, you know, any type of human growth hormone to make them stronger, to hit the ball harder, or hit and to knock someone out faster, or whatever it is. Yeah, this is one of those things that's just gonna keep happening until either it's like the commission of like a, a certain sports league or whoever go down really hard on people to like make an example out of people or they kind of let up and like well here's a little here's a little you know okay please don't do it again okay thanks i think it's really the only way in sports that this stuff is close or even on a better path to stopping is if when it when you people get caught like this any whether it's you know baseball you know uh football basketball soccer so on and so forth the commissions have to lay you know, to consequences down extremely hard. You need to make an example out of people. Like what they did to Pete Rose, for example. He didn't cheat, technically, but he didn't do it as a player. It was the whole him betting on games as a manager for the Reds, and now he's banned from baseball for life. So there's that. So I feel like this is, I mean, in a way also terrible as well, that while on their run to a World Series, that they stole signs. But it's also, it's like same thing with like football and deflating footballs. You know, after Tom Brady and that whole deflategate thing, players came out saying, yeah, we've done it before too. Like, I think it was Rich Gannon or Brad Johnson, or I think one, I think both of them actually may have come out. Again, I could be wrong saying that, but I feel like one of them did, saying that, yeah, deflating footballs isn't anything new. Like, we've, people have been doing that for however long. I don't, it's not like, I, I don't really think that the MLB is going to go, hey, uh, by the way, um, we're taking away World Series from 2017. So we're going to just vacate that year because that, that's what college does a lot. And it's, yeah, I don't think anything's really going to happen. There'll probably be some suspensions, probably some firings. So maybe, you know, some long-term like, oh, you're banned for this amount of time type stuff. But at the end of the day, within a year or two, this is going to be swept under the rug. And it's like, oh, yeah, remember when that remember when that happened a few years ago with the whole Astros thing? Yeah, eh, whatever. So oh, let me know your thoughts as well. Um, what are your thoughts on stuff like this happening? You know, have you, if you've, you know, played baseball in any kind of league or any kind of form, whether it's collegiate, professional, little league, or like, you know, the teenage leagues or whatever, I don't exactly know what they're called in baseball, but, you know, if you've dealt with sign stealing or anything of that, I'd like to hear your stories. Again, all my social medias are in the description down below. I've probably said that at least 15,000 times in this video, but you get the point now. Well, on to that, something that's a little bit more you know, lighthearted, I guess, to an extent, is the whole Colin Kaepernick thing. So let's just get into that. All right, so Colin Kaepernick, as I'm sure 
if you are a football fan, you are aware who Colin Kaepernick is. Uh, former quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. Um, back in 2012-2013, he helped the 49ers reach a Super Bowl. And they uh, lost, sadly, to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, very happy for that. Um, this Saturday, apparently, he is going to hold a workout. Well, a private workout for teams to hopefully, you know, um, get on a... You know, to get on a to get on a hopefully a professional football team. Yeah, he hasn't played since January of 2017. And so this is a tweet from Colin Kaepernick. This was yesterday, actually. Well, the 12th, depending on when you're listening to this. He goes, I'm just getting word from my representatives that the NFL League office reached out to them about a workout in Atlanta on Saturday. I've been in shape and ready for this for three years. Can't wait to see the head coaches and GMs on Saturday. Um, from my understanding and research. When it comes to workouts, usually it's on like a Tuesday, and for some reason it's on a Saturday, and it seems very like feels like it's one of those things when it feels like all right, you know, whatever. Here's a, here's a workout, just go. Like we don't I'm tired of hearing it. And the way the NFL's been going this year with all the injuries to quarterbacks, like Cam Newton's out for the rest of the season. He may not be a Panther after this season. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky has been playing well for the Bears. You know, I know Matthew Stafford's out currently. Jacoby Brissett got injured. You know. Nick Falls just came back, but Gardner Minshew was in his place, and so on and so forth. Maybe this will be good for him. Hopefully it works out. So this is a, this is an ESPN article talking about it that I'm quoting here. It says, Sources told ESPN that Kaepernick and his reps were alerted to uh, of the workout at 10 a.m. Tuesday ahead of a 4 p.m. Eastern personnel notice that was sent to each of the 32 teams. When notified, the quarterback's reps asked for the workout to be on a Tuesday, which typically is when the NFL workouts take place because the head coaches and general managers can be more easily attend, like I said. Um, on Saturday, almost half of the NFL teams will be traveling to games, and most of the rest of the coaches and players will be heading to their team hotels to prepare for the games the next day. But the NFL said the workout had to be on Saturday, so just told ESPN. When the league was asked whether it could be on the following Saturday, by making it, by making it this Saturday... The 32 teams have only about three days to make a decision whether or not to attend and whom to send. The NFL said no and didn't provide a reason. Sources told ESPN that the league office also said none of the 32 teams had been made aware of the workout before the memo was sent. When Kaepernick's representatives asked whether a team or teams had asked for the workout, the league office said, we can't tell you that the reps explained. That just seems super sketchy. That They're just like, yeah, here's a workout and teams can be there if they want, but... They're not going to probably much going to be there, so uh, you're shit out of luck. You know, this guy, at least according to his reps and Colin Kaepernick on Twitter, that he's been ready for the last three years. You know, you feel how you feel about him and the whole, you know, protesting and taking a knee during the National Anthem thing and the message behind that. That's your prerogative. If you agree with it or not, that's not, I mean, that's whatever to that. But the fact of the matter is, this guy essentially is getting blackballed by the NFL because he just felt he felt he was doing something, you know, right in a way that sh shouldn't have been distracting. But then it became a huge dis distraction, quote unquote. It, I don't believe it was, but it drew a lot of attention to that, and that the NFL kind of just barred him from trying to play. So, and it's not like he's a bad quarterback at all. You know, statistically, he's he's pretty decent for the most part. Like I said, he brought the Fortnite to a Super Bowl, and you know, he's has a decent record. And it's not like when John Harbaugh left. Uh, sorry, not John Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, left the 49ers like they had a bad season afterwards. He played well the next season. I mean, it's one of those things where it's because you're not going with them that now you're against them type of thing. It, it seems like so. And plus, the guys that they've been picking up in free agency for these backup quarterbacks 
are hot garbage. And they're getting jobs over Colin Kaepernick, who I think is a better quarterback than most, if not all, backups in the league, really. Sounds like it may be a small, very small, very small handful of people. But, I mean, obviously I hope the best for the guy. Um, you know, I have, I've had personally no issue with his whole message and his, you know, his stance and everything. And how this has all been handled has just been ridiculous and unnecessary. And I'm not comparing it in a way, but I'm kind of am with the whole Ray Rice thing because he, his career NFL career is over. Like that's, that was very, you know, after how Baltimore and the league handled Ray Rice's suspensions and all that and the consequences he got from the video of him, you know, knocking his wife out in an elevator. You know, it feels like they're kind of messing it up again with this one because he didn't do anything illegal. He didn't assault anybody. He was just protesting against things he felt were unjust. So, I, I mean, I feel like, and you know, people, I've heard people over the years saying, oh, well, he was, oh, he was, he was bad anyway, blah, 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 blah. It's like, he, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't like an MVP candidate or anything, but he was a good player. You know, he brought a good team to a Super Bowl and had a decent season the year after, so it wasn't like he's had a bad career. Sure, he, the, I think the next couple of years after that weren't super great, but that's because of the whole, like, protesting thing that kind of took away from his playing, and then that's a whole other thing, so. But there's plenty of teams out there that can use him and his services. Um, I understand he's a little bit older now. Uh, I believe, let me see how old he is first, because he's like 33 or something like that. He's a little bit older in age, but again, it's been three years since he played, so I hope for the best. And according to this TMZ article I see here, the Dolphins, Lions are sending reps to the workout. Let me see if anybody else is going. Uh, let's see. So the Atlanta Falcons, according to this TMZ article here, say they also plan on having someone at Caps workout. Denver Broncos, uh, not sure if they will have someone. Houston Texans, uh, head coach Bill O'Brien didn't, didn't want to comment. Bill Nagy, head coach of the Bears, not sure. Colts, head coach, uh, haven't made a decision yet. Uh, Baltimore, the, my favorite team, uh, says he doesn't know if the team will have a representative at the workout. Uh, Jason Garrett, head coach of the Cowboys, says he's not really in tune with Kaepernick's situation, is unaware if the team will sign a rep. New England, not sure. So it's one of those things where it's easier to just be like, I, I don't know, I don't know. But again, at the end of the day, whether you think because of his protest or not, he should be in the league is, the, you know, whatever, but I think just as a player, statistically, he has proven he's a good quarterback. And, you know, sure, I don't. we don't really know how he'll perform if he does get signed to a team. You know, it's been three years and he's 32 years old, so that usually doesn't seem super great for him. But again, to me, this just feels like they're kind of just like, we're doing this just to shut you up. And if nothing happens, well, oops, well, sorry, we tried. But then maybe it doesn't work out. They're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, but you're not going to do anything. So it kind of feels like this is more against Kaepernick than it does, like, you know, benefit him. Because also it just kind of seems like the NFL is kind of just like, hey, guys, like for the internet, it's like, hey, guys, he's getting a workout. Please stop hating us kind of thing. Like, please get off our backs. You know, if he doesn't get signed to a team, that's his fault. But if he does, that's great. So leave us alone, please. Thank you. Please, like, please leave the doors there. Again, I don't know. It's, I don't know, a lot of, lot of fuckery been going on in sports lately. It seems like that. It seems like it's just been kind of a little bit of a negative sports week for, you know, players and 
people and all that involved in sports, whether it's from the collegiate level, professional level. I'm sure there's been issues in certain places in the in the high school, you know, level as well that I don't know about because I don't really follow high school football that much. Uh, I think besides that, the only things I can really think of because I kind of covered everything I wanted to cover was you have the whole MVP race for the NFL, whether it's Russell Wilson, you know, whether it's Lamar Jackson or whether it's like any someone else or whatever and Deshaun Watson and things like that. I know the Warriors haven't been playing well, but again, they're like super injured and they're not really going to play well this year. So I don't people say, oh, the war are the Warriors done? You know, oh, is this the is this the end of the Warriors dynasty? Like, like relax. They're not a they're not a they're not a healthy team. It's not like Clay's in. You know, they're all healthy and playing poorly. But like Clay's out for the year. Steph said he'd come back probably like early spring. You know, Draymond's not around. And they're just not playing great, from my understanding, and what the, from what I've seen on like record-wise. So maybe they just keep it like that for the rest of the year. Hopefully, get a decent draft pick, and then go from there. Um, I know the Lakers have been playing really well. Same thing with the Clippers. So good, good on them for that. You know, hope the best for them. It seems like James Dolan is ready just to blow the Knicks all up again. You know, ready to fire Dave uh, Fisdale, which I think is just purely stupid that they're not even. They're like 10 or 11 games in the season and they're already trying to fire him. But, and he also wants to, I can never pronounce his name, but the GM of the Raptors. He said he wants to throw whatever he can at him, even if it's like Phil Jackson money. I think James Dolan and their front office is the issue. Because from my experience, and I've kind of mentioned this before for other teams, the Knicks want to win now. And I get it, you're in New York, you're a big market. You know, you want you want to bring like the success to, you know, New York. Because you have the Yankees who have been doing well for so long. The Rangers have been doing well. I know the Islanders are on the up and up. The, the the Giants kind of had their own success, but not recently. But it's like there's there's teams out there that are like, you know, kind of doing well. The thing with the Knicks is they're it seems like they're very impatient. You know, they wanna get it get it over with now instead of really taking time to really rebuild the team properly. Um, and also James Dolan is just a terrible owner, so there's that. Uh, it's proven for many years that his decision-making has been garbage and that he personally shouldn't even own the team anymore. Uh, but again, that's probably not going to happen. So, you know, socks for that. Sucks for Knicks fans like that. But um, I'm trying to think of anything else I can think of. Um, oh, before I go, uh, as a Ravens fan and uh, for a, pretty much my whole life, uh, it's I don't know if I mentioned this before, but it seems a lot of analysts like on Fox Sports or ESPN or CBS Sports or pretty much anybody who really covers you know the NFL on any kind of platform that when it comes to Lamar Jackson, uh, it's, they're always like it's kind of like a backhanded compliment. It's like oh he's playing great, oh he's playing swell, but is this sustainable? Is he really gonna keep this up forever? It's like I get this narrative of the scrambling quarterback, you know. Like Michael Vick, Cam Newton, you know, you have like people like, you know, Randall Cunningham or whoever, any kind of like big name quarterback, Russell Wilson, who guys who scramble and then they tend to get injured kind of a thing. So the fact that it's like they, they it seems like when they talk about it, that it's like they want it to happen just to kind of prove a point. So it's like, oh, like God forbid he does get injured, obviously. Hope he doesn't. Uh, that it's like, oh, well, you see, now he's like everybody else, you know? Michael Vick couldn't last, you know, a season. You know, all these, you know, Kim Noon's out this year. Look how he's doing. Look how his health is. You know, look at all these past quarterbacks who have a similar style to him that have also had injury issues or, you know, playing issues. It's like, see, we told you. We all told you. 
but then at the same time, it's like, I don't, I don't understand this narrative that they want. It seems like they want him to get injured. Like I don't, I don't understand. Obviously, the style he plays does tend to lead more to injuries because he opens, he opens himself up more for injuries. But so far in his career, he's been fairly like injured less. Like, he hasn't really been injured a whole lot, from my understanding. I don't think I don't remember him being really injured in college. I think maybe his second year after he won the Heisman, maybe, but I don't have anything in front of me to prove that at the moment. So I don't know. It just seems kind of ridiculous that I praise him, but at the same time want him to fail in a sense. And I don't get it. It's it's a little more like for me. I get a little bit more like tired of hearing about it just being a long, you know, being a Ravens fan, and everyone's like, whoa, you know, he's gonna get injured. I'm telling you, just watch out for it. It's gonna happen. Why? Why do you want it to happen? Like. It's not like I'm out here, well, I jokingly will do that with my friends, but I'm never serious about players getting injured because that's terrible and fucked up. But, you know, I, I wouldn't normally really actually want a player to get injured because that's, dude's still a human being whether I like the person or not as a player. And it's like, dude's got family and shit. Like, the last thing I want is someone to, like, their career to be over or, like, their career getting shortened because of their injuries. Like, that's that's just ridiculous to me. But um, that's all I got for today. Uh, I thank you all for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Uh, like I said earlier in the beginning of the show, that this podcast is going to moving to Mondays in a couple weeks, but I'll probably say repeat that again once it gets closer to that date. Um, again, like I said again earlier in the in the podcast, available on all platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Anchor, Stitcher, uh, uh, Castbox, wherever you know podcasts or listen to or even all your third-party apps you may use on your iphones or androids or whatever you know i'd appreciate it if you also rated the podcast that'd be uh nice and helpful and you know again if there's anything you'd like me to talk about anything you disagree on or anything that i may have missed or any kind of fact checking or anything you think you want me to talk about please let me know uh i'm on social media all the time so you can always just hit me up message me and we can talk about it that's all i got for today Uh, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll see you all next Wednesday.